Transitions are exhausting. So many things change, you end up feeling lost. You can find yourself questioning your relevance and even your worth. Whether you're gaining a new surname or going to a new situation, there are two things I want you to know. First, your roles in life will change, but your purpose is eternal. Second, God has a plan for your life and the enemy has a plot against that plan. I'm Sherry Fletcher, and this is Your Spiritual Game Plan, the podcast for those in a season of transition. And I'm so glad you're here. Stick around and let's work on a spiritual game plan together. Ask any woman. Most of us know what it's like to be misheard, mischaracterized, or misrepresented by family, friends, even strangers. Few of us feel deeply known and understood all the time. Maybe you've endured long, painful seasons of misunderstanding in which people around you have questioned or worse, judged your motives and actions. Today, I'm gonna be speaking with Mary DeMuth, who understands exactly how you're feeling. In fact, we're gonna be talking about her most recent book, The Most Misunderstood Women of the Bible and What Their Stories Teach Us About Thriving. Mary DeMuth is a literary agent, podcaster of the popular Pray Everyday podcast, an artist, speaker, and the author of 40 plus books, including the most recent, The Most Misunderstood Women of the Bible. She lives in Texas with her husband, and is the mom to three adult children. Mary wants you to know that if you have these feelings, you are not alone. And in this book, she tells the tales of 10 women who were misunderstood in their own time and often still are. It is Mary's hope and passion that you always know and remember that there's one who understands you perfectly and stands ready to comfort strengthen and defend you through every situation. I am so excited today to welcome Mary DeMuth to the show. How are you this morning? I am busy and happy. Busy and happy. I like that one. Um, I would love it if you'd share a little bit about yourself, maybe some current projects that you have going on um, and what you do during the holidays as this is coming up here on Thanksgiving. Yeah, so I am uh, the author of 43, almost 44 books now, and uh, I'm a literary agent. I live in Texas with my husband. Our kids have flown the coop, so um, we typically do celebrate Thanksgiving with them. Last year, we celebrated it in uh, Missouri, where our son and his uh, his wife lived. Um, and we love to do things as a family. So we also vacation as a family, which is, I know something that's kind of rare when your kids leave the nest, but um, that's something that we do still love to do. Uh, that is so exciting. I know we just moved to Tennessee, so we're kind of still getting settled, but prior to moving, um, yeah, family vacations are is so important. I love them. And I love listening to your podcast, Pray Every Day. Um, when I was in the process of moving and just needed to take walks, that's what I would use on my mm. walks. So I love that podcast and there will be links to that in the show notes, but 
Anyway, I have a question that I ask every guest, and that is looking back in your life, how far back can you look and see the very purpose you're living out today and who you've always been? You know, that's a beautiful question. And weirdly, I think it goes back to this time when I was really young and I was experiencing horrific sexual abuse at the time. I was probably five years old. And I was, um, my babysitter had these old stuffed animals in her house that I would play with. And I always gravitated toward the ones that were broken or that had a missing eye. And I just had this like deep desire to nurture. And I think it was just part of me that was saying, this is what I need. I'm not getting, but I want to give it. So maybe I'll understand it someday. And, and now as a speaker and a teacher and a writer, I'm constantly thinking about my audience and how I can love them better and how I can nurture them. And I am still very attracted to the broken folks in this world, those with the, you know, the fallen off eye and so to speak in their soul and uh, those who are shabby. I just love people like that because those are the people Jesus hung out with. And so I love, I, I see that as kind of a connection. I love that story. And I'm sorry for the pain you went through and, and, but I love how God has been able to use that to draw you towards the people that are in pain. And that's what we're talking about today in your book, uh, The Most Misunderstood Women of the Bible. And I don't think I know any woman in my life that doesn't feel like they've been misheard or misrepresented or mischaracterized. And so I would love it if you'd share a little bit about why you wrote that book. Yeah, I wrote it because I walked through the valley of misunderstanding a couple of years ago with a close friend and it just like laid me flat and it's still not resolved. And I thought to myself, this has got to be one of the most painful things to be deeply misunderstood, have your heart misunderstood, your motives misunderstood. And then at the same time, I was reading the Bible over and over again. And I was realizing that a lot of the sermons that I've been hearing about some of these women Um, We're just not accurate according to a very plain reading of scripture. And so I combined those two ideas of let's look at these women who are misunderstood both in their context and in history and learn from them when we walk through our own valley of misunderstanding. Uh, And you do it so beautifully with storytelling because that just kind of makes these women come alive and makes them like personal and versus just hearing them as a lesson study, you kind of picture them and you kind of feel yourself in a room with them. And I would love it if you'd share a little bit about your research with these women. Yeah. So mainly the research was just reading the Bible over and over and reading the passage with them in it, in the surrounding context. And so I formulated a lot of insight just by asking, what would it be like to be in her shoes? And then after I did that and I put on my novelist hat and think, okay, how can I tell this story? Um, I went, of course, to the Greek and the Hebrew and the commentaries and um, and books that have been written and websites and things like that. So um, it was a comprehensive thing, but it started with just reading the scripture over and over again. How did the stories come to you? Like, do you have, <laughs> I know you're a wonderful storyteller, but how do you... Um, when you're researching and praying and how do you come into this room with this woman and make her your friend? Cause it just feels like you're sharing a story of a friend. I do think that has a lot to do with that empathy piece and, and just 
asking what would it be like to walk around in her sandals? What, what is she seeing right now? What might she be feeling? And that really helped me, like, especially with Bathsheba, because as the King's men were coming to her door and knocking on it and saying, you must come to the palace. I thought, what would she be thinking? And, and of course I don't know, but it was just conjecture, but I would think if I were her, that if King's men were coming to the door, that they'd be telling me that my husband had died. Mm. Now, little, you know, unknown to her, she was going to be taken to the King's palace and bad things were going to happen to her. And her husband eventually did die. But, um, you know, just those kinds of little details of what would you think if you were in that situation? Of course, if your husband is a warrior out there on the front lines and they say, well, you have to come with us. That's the first thing I would think. Yeah. Uh, it just was so beautifully written. And I, I work with and mentor women. And one of the common threads that I hear is they just feel like they're dismissed. Um, mm. What they do doesn't matter. And so that falls in line with being misunderstood as well. And I know it's something that I deal with. And I don't I know that's a lot to do with the culture. But how do you think this mind, this book is going to help that mindset of just being dismissed and misunderstood? I would say that's a great word. And a lot of these women would have felt that same word. They would have felt dismissed or relegated to the back of history. But what's encouraging, particularly about Hagar's story is she is unseen in this story. She has to do things she doesn't want to do. She gets pregnant. She's alone. And she's the first person to name God in scripture. The only one to name God in scripture. She's the first one to have this really powerful divine encounter with God. And she names him the God who sees. And so that's my encouragement. If you feel dismissed, you may be looking, and I'm guilty of this too, you may be looking at things through the lens of the world's math, which always applauds the strong, the brave, the um, the one with the biggest social media platform, the people who are out front, the people that are on stages. And Jesus tells us that the first will be last and the last will be first. And so I think we're going to be really surprised on heaven's shores of those who are really um, applauded and those who are sent to the back of the line. And it's going to be surprising. Maybe those people on stages will not be recognized, whereas the people who worked quietly behind the scenes in the soup lines or just disciple people quietly, um, I think those folks have changed the world. We think about Jesus. He didn't like he didn't have this like worldwide ministry. He wasn't trying to expand things. He was in his own locale and he poured into 12 and really into three. And those men and women, because he had all these women around him as well. So this like group of about 70 that were around him included women, those people shook the world. And that was a very simple model of just pouring into the lives of people. Yeah. I love that. I love that mindset that you know, the little things I, I, I know that some of the moms I work with, they, they, they're staying at home right now and they just don't feel seen. They don't, don't see, you know, the work that they're doing seems so irrelevant. And so I just love that mindset that, yeah, the first will be last. And that Jesus reminds us it's for the least of these, even the little things. And I don't know, is there a certain woman in all of the, the women that you talk about in this book? Is there one that you most related to? All of them in different ways. I think lately it's been Naomi, the grieved one, because we have walked through a ser- you know, just a couple of years of grief, all of us collectively. And we've been sold a weird narrative that you can grieve for about three weeks and then you need to move on. 
I was speaking to a friend of mine recently and she just said, I just sit in my backyard and put my feet up and I feel so guilty, but I just literally can't do anything else. She's in grief. And Naomi renames herself Mara on the way back to the house of bread, also known as Bethlehem. And everyone's there to welcome her. And they're like, woohoo, you're back. And she's like, call me Mara, <laughs> which means bitter. Um, you know, and I think that happens to a lot of us where we're going through grief and people want us to get over it quickly. I love that concept. And I don't think you ever get over it. I think it comes back in different ways and you experience it. But um, I would love to get a glimpse um, of your, I loved your story on the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, and that was because my son just, you know, when I was preparing to talk with you, my son was in the process of getting married is married now. And I just loved that story. And I would love it if you'd give us this glimpse into this Proverbs 31 woman, because it always seems like we have set this standard that we have to be. And yet you say in there that this was not intended for women. I loved that. Yeah, this the audience of this particular passage is men. It is a mom talking to her son about the qualities of an amazing wife. And so really, um, it's for men to be like, okay, this, uh, when I'm searching, just like your son was doing searching for someone to come to complete his life. Um, he would be looking for some of these qualities like industriousness and truthfulness and compassion and all of those things. The other thing I think we get stumbled upon, or we stumble when we look at the Proverbs 31 woman is we think it's a prescriptive of how we are supposed to order every single day of our lives and not thinking that this could be what's written on her tombstone. When you go to a memorial service, they don't talk about all the mundane things that someone did in their life. They do all the highlight reels of what they did. Or when you look on Instagram, people are showing like the awesome sides of their life. They're not showing the, my kid threw up all over me today, that kind of thing. So we have to remember this is over a lifetime. This is her, a reflection of a mom about what a, a good wife is, but she's done this over her lifetime. She didn't do all those things in one day. And I think we're... Um, we're going to stress ourselves out if we think that. Yeah. And I love how she presents herself as a businesswoman. And uh, there are just so many things in this chapter that you brought to life that I just love the way you wrote the narrative on that. And there's a lot of women that you cover. You mentioned Bathsheba and Naomi, and there's Mary and Eve and Leah. And I'm, I'm wondering, is there one that has been most communicated about? Communicated by others or just in general, like, is there one in there that the Bible that, that of the women that you wrote about that you seem, oh, right. Yeah. That most people have a misunderstanding about. Yeah, definitely Eve. Um, and of course we see her written about in Genesis, but we see it written all throughout the Bible, particularly in the new Testament. And one of the things I think we forget by not reading the text plainly and just remembering sermons is that. Adam is standing right next to her when the, when the serpent is deceiving her and he is mute. He says nothing. He doesn't say, no, wait a minute. That's not true. Don't listen to him. This isn't what God said to us. He says nothing. She's completely on her own. And um, when she confesses her sin to God in the garden, she actually does it correctly. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She just confessed the truth of what she did. Adam did not say, I did something wrong. He said, that woman that you gave me 
gave it to me and I ate. So he's blaming God for giving him the woman and he's blaming the woman for, you know, being a part of this and he's shifting the blame. And so um, I think in some ways she's just been misunderstood throughout millennia as she gets like 85% of the blame and Adam gets like 15%. They are, I'm not saying that she's less, I'm saying they are equally culpable in this, but she gets more blame and she actually had a more godly response than Adam. Mm, I loved that perspective. I I highlighted and uh, cut and paste into my little notes on that whole perspective of Eve, because that was a fascinating thing to think about. And you mentioned earlier, uh, right when we first got on that you had had some painful experiences as a child. And I didn't know when you were studying these women, if there was one that was most difficult to really talk about. Yeah, I think Tamar's probably that. This is the second Tamar, not the one that sleeps with Judah, but the second one who's raped by her brother. And then there's a third one too. But um, so uh, she had no, she had no way of getting out of that situation. And that parallels what I went through as a child. And a lot of those kinds of power dynamic situations where you've, I, I mean, she couldn't have physically done anything. I couldn't have physically gotten out of that situation. And her story is really hard. And if you read it without the eyes of redemption, you will just think it's sad because she asked the question, where will I get rid of my disgrace? But there's a little bit of redemption hinted at in the story. And that's that her brother that she ends up living with Absalom names his next child Tamar, which makes me think that she had this amazing influence on, over his household, that he loved his sister so much that he named his daughter after her. Mm, I like that story of redemption. Um, so this is not just a book to just sit and read the stories. There are um, questions at the end. There's the, you know, the thought provoking of truths fully, uh, truths about fully understood you. And then questions for discussion. Why is it so important to finish these chapters with a proactive step? I just feel like, you know, after you've read everything and tried to process process it, sometimes it's good to have it synthesized for you. So that's why I wrote those truths just to say, okay, this is based on this story, based on, you know, what you've just read. I want to share with you that you are seen. God knows you. God loves you. He's for you. Those kinds of things. And then having those questions, they can either be things you reflect on in your own journal, or um, I believe we grow best, not in isolation, but in community. And so this book is very handy to use as a very simple 10-week Bible study, because it's not a fill-in thing. Um, if you've got busy people in your life, this is a, a beautiful way to study these 10 women because it's very simply laid out. Yeah. I, and I love keeping notes and doing things. So I loved all the questions and stuff at the end. It was really fascinating. And so, you know, we live in this world, instant fame, instant likes, everything goes viral. Um, and we can base uh, our value on, you know, we put something out and we get no likes. Okay. That can just you know, make us feel even more misunderstood. And I was wondering, what were some of these kinds of lessons that we could learn on from Phoebe on our roles in God's work being misunderstood? Yeah. So she most likely, and again, I can't say this for sure. I'll find out on the other side, <laughs> um, but most likely because she's commended at the book of Romans in Romans 16 was the one who brought the book of Romans to Rome, which would have been a very perilous journey for her. Um, and she's just not recognized, not seen and yet think about that impact that she had. If this were, if this is true, 
we would not have the most theologically in-depth, powerful book of the Bible in our hands. Um, and, and so I think it's important that we don't try to play the role of God and say, well, this, you know, and assign importance to great splashy things and kind of deny the power of small little things. Um, little is much in, is much in the hand of our creator. And so um, being faithful in little, Jesus says, really, really matters. You won't be entrusted with much until you are faithful in little. And these days, people want to be entrusted with much without any sort of character to back it up, which is why we're seeing all these pastors crash right now. It's why we're seeing all these celebrities do terrible things, first of all, because they're isolated, second of all, because they had fame too fast, and their souls and their hearts were not ready for it. So be careful what you wish for, because fame, I'm, I'm in that space of uh, as a writer and a speaker. And I've seen several of my friends fall from, from where they were um, because of fame. It will kill your soul. Yeah. You know, um, one I've been several couple, not anymore, but I was in several masterminds. I've limited it to one now. <laughs> and uh, one that I was in, I remember it was when I first really started putting my writing out. And um, one of the girls in the mastermind said, you know, how long does it take to were discovered? And I, I really <laughs> thought, <laughs> I know we're laughing. I really thought about that. And I wrote in my journal, I do not want to be discovered. I want to help others discover. Mm. And I just really think that, you know, reading through these women, they seem so misunderstood. We seem, you know, we can be feeling like we're misunderstood too, but you know, we're not here to really be discovered. Um, and when we're presenting Christ, we're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be, mm-hmm. the, you know, enemies going to come out, but I just, yeah, when you're in that platform of fame, instant fame, it it's, it's gotta be very careful on what you're looking for. And so I liked that with uh, Phoebe and, and that mindset. So thank you for sharing that. And I am just so thankful that you took the time to join me today. I know we just barely scratched the surface on these women. And uh, like you mentioned, you've written over 40 books. And why do you think there's such an importance in the written word? Because it's there (laughs) and you can refer back to it versus you might remember what someone said wrong, you know, but if you can... Mm go, you can go back to your journals. You can go back to your written prayers. And I think that's also really important to write down your prayers because you can, you can see it. Oh my gosh, the Lord has answered that prayer. Whereas if you just think it, you may not have a record of that and it may not, you may not be as encouraged as you could be. I think the written word has not gone away. I still love the smell of books and um, I still love uh, the process of touching the book and encountering it and, um, or reading it on a Kindle is fine too, but just to have that space, it's like a, it's a discipleship space between author and you. And, you know, when I was younger and I was longing to be discipled, um, by an older woman, you know, as the scripture talks about, I didn't really find that. And I think a lot of people don't find that. And so I resorted to women who were, and men who were writing great books. 
And that was part of my discipleship journey was to learn from people that way. So that's why I think it's powerful. Yeah. I love books. I love the same thing, touching and underlining and dog earring, Mm -hmm. all that good stuff. So where can my listeners find uh, more about you and this book that we're discussing today? Yeah. So it's wherever books are sold and um, you can find me at marydemuth.com and that's where everything is. I also have a freebie for your listeners. It's 64 truths and 17 proclamations, all from the word of God. It's a PDF for when you're misunderstood and they can get that at marydemuth.com slash misunderstood. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for blessing me and the audience today and taking time out to join me. Thank you. It's been a sheer joy. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Mary DeMuth as we discussed her book, The Most Misunderstood Women in the Bible, and what their stories teach us about thriving. Ways to connect with Mary are in the show notes. And I would love to wish you and your family a very blessed Thanksgiving. And also, as we enter into the crazy rush of the holiday season coming up here, I just hope that you're able to find some quiet time alone with God and really enjoy the reason that we are celebrating this season. Imagine shifting your focus off of the hard work of trying to prove yourself to the joyful life of knowing your worth. When you join my email list, you will get the free mini guide, one simple way to know you matter today. It is my prayer that you'll be reminded daily of all the ways you matter more than you know. So head on over to sherryfletcher.com, click join Sherry at the top of the screen. Already a subscriber? Enter your info anyway to get the new mini guide and you will not get multiple emails. Did you know that you can help others start a spiritual game plan for their lives? When you leave a review and share this podcast, it helps me reach others. I do love hearing from you, and I want to know how I can serve you in the best possible way. So be sure to subscribe to the emails and leave reviews. Thank you for tuning in to Your Spiritual Game Plan, the podcast. I'll see you next Tuesday.